Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for uh, your son Jesus, we're so grateful for uh, having it be the center of our faith, for having it be the center of our lives. Lord, we know uh, that there's freedom in that. We desire more than anything for this church to be a place where Jesus is at the center. It's the thing that fuels us. It's the thing that guides us. He's not only our Savior, he's our example, he's our Lord, he's our King, uh, and he's the head of this church. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, the ability to be able to follow well, that we would see clearly uh, that we would always make Jesus the center, shedding everything else around us so that uh, we are able to completely focus on who he is. Lord, we uh, ask for your blessing on the church universal this morning, not just us, but all those who gather in your name, all of those who claim Jesus is Lord. And in particular, Lord, we ask that you would be with uh, the churches here in this town and St. Paul's Methodist Church that you would be with their pastor, Glenn Lertz, this morning, that uh, he would preach the word in such a way that inspires and that your Holy Spirit would guide him and give him the gift of preaching, that uh, hearts would be touched, that they, those who do not know you would come to know you and that those uh, who are hurting might be healed and that redemption would come through their work. Lord, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, thankful that we're all able here to gather on this beautiful fall day. Uh, and, uh, boy, I've been thankful for the cold weather. Like I said, I know a lot of y'all uh, followed the teachings of Leviticus and made chilly this past week. I'm so grateful to you for following the word and uh, that we have that unity of spirit between us. Uh, and then it went and got hot, so I don't know, put that in the freezer and we'll talk about it another time. Uh, if, if you're new uh, here or a guest with us, we especially want to welcome you. We're really grateful that you're here. Uh, we want to let you know that there are some things going on uh, right now in our church that we want you to be aware of. You'll see these signs up everywhere. We're seeking his way. This is our time as a church to go. We're really looking for God to guide us, uh, to shape us, to, to give us direction in what kind of church we want to be. Uh, who, how we can best be disciples of his and what it looks like for us to be disciples who love well, who represent Jesus well. Uh, we want to be able to do that. And so, Lord, we, uh, we're, we're asking the Lord to, to help us with that. And um, uh, this is a time really of seeking and asking and trying to listen. And if you're not uh, comfortable with that, if that's maybe something new to you, you're going, okay, you're listening to God. What are you listening for? Well, we believe that the Holy Spirit indwells those of us who belong to Christ. And with that, he's active, and he actually guides us, and he can lead us. And so we want to be able to recognize what he looks like. And one of the ways to do that is to make sure that we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about this a lot, that the Holy Spirit's not this mystical force, and it's not Jesus' weird little brother. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God living in us. The active God who's here in this world and, and that he promises to indwell in us, but we have to be able to recognize his footsteps and we have to be able to walk with him. And so we're, we're learning to do that as a group and we're trying to listen to where God would lead us. And one of the best ways to do that is to know, how do you know whether or not you're hearing from the Holy Spirit? Well, there's, there's these characteristics, there's these traits that you'll see that, that give you evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue this week and next week uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This week we'll talk a little bit more about how we have this individually in us, and then next week we're going to talk about a church church 
that is identified by the fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk about that, how we do that as a group. So uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, want to remind you the scripture uh, that we've been using, Galatians 5, through 26, is the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. That's the word of the Lord. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the thing about this. We talked a little bit about last week. I'll give you a little review as we catch up if you haven't been with us. One is you start looking at this list of things that is the fruit of the Spirit, and everybody wants them. I mean, if you really were to, to list these and go, hey, a life filled with love and with joy and with peace and with patience and with kindness and goodness and faith, the whole world desires this, even if they don't know. Sometimes they're shadowed in some other ways. Like if you met, go, I've met some people that they seem like they're about money and about power and about influence. You need to know those boil down to the idea of still trying to find joy in this life, of trying to find love. That's what's deeper underneath that, trying to find some peace through what they can gather. These are the things that most people look at, whether you're a believer in God or not, and you go, hey, how would you like to have a life that's filled with these things? Everybody would go, yeah, I want that. I want those things in my life. And so what we do as people, whether you're a believer or not, is we try to acquire them. We try to gather them. We go, I want these things in my life, so I need to go get them. I need to go find them. And I need to make a mind. And we talked a lot about that last week. Is one of the things that we, we desire to do is go, I'll change my world. And if I can change the stimulus and the things around me, I'll change the people that I'm around. I'll change the place that I live in. I'll change the place where I work. And if I can form this in such a way, then I will have these things in my life. They will be identifiers of what my life is like if I can just fix my world. And that's one of the ways that we fight this battle between flesh and the spirit. Because there is a battle. That's what Paul has talked to us about even before this. He said, look, here's the things of the flesh, here's the things of the spirit. You need to know you're in a battle. There's a battle between those things. And so oftentimes what happens then in that battle is we try and fight this battle between the flesh and the spirit with fleshly weapons. And it doesn't work. That's, you're, you're, you're making the arena the wrong place here. We cannot fight these things in the flesh. They're not a list of behaviors. If you notice, the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of go do these things. Obey this. You can't just go obey love and joy and peace and patience. These are things that we actually have to become. So you can't just trade out one set of behaviors for another set of behaviors. So we tend to battle this in the flesh somehow. And like I said, one of the ways that we do that, we, we battle it two ways. One of the ways is to go, I'll fix my world. My world is broken. If I, if I look and I go, I don't have these things in my life. I want these things in my life. So what I'll do is I'll change the world around me. The world's broken and it's not giving me these things. And so what I need to do is I need to change my world. So I'll change the stimuli and I'll change the circumstances. I'll change where I live. I'll change who I'm with. I'll change who I love. I'll change who I hang out with. And then what will happen is these things will come to me. We talked about that last week and to go, there's, there's no way for that to happen because you're right. It's a broken world and it cannot provide you these things. The other way that we tend to do that that we're going to talk about today that we battle these things in the flesh is we get the idea to go, if I can't get the world 
to do this, then what I'll do is I'll change me. I'll work at changing who I am because I'm not getting these things in my life. So I need to change me. I need to do things differently. I need to change what my focus is. I need to change myself. There must be something wrong with me. The other one is there's something wrong with the world. This one is there's something wrong with me. And the fact is, both cases you're right. There is something wrong with the world. And there is something wrong with me. The problem is I can't fix that and have a life that's filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be talking about a lot today. This idea that I have to change me, that I can work on this, and if I work on this enough, if I work on me enough, then what I'll do is I'll have this life that's filled with these things of love and joy and peace and patience. That there's something wrong with me. I tried changing the world around me and it didn't work, so it must be me. And we do that in a few ways. I would tell you, for the most part, the world is big into this and going, I'll just do the self-help route, right? The self-help books, there's millions of books out there that would claim to show you how to get these things that are the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You just need to work at them. You need to focus. You need to make sure that you have this discipline. And if you discipline and you try really hard and you change yourself, then these things will be evident in your life. This, this idea that it's an achievement you can have or you can almost manifest it. That's a big deal right now too is to go, well, if you can see it, then you can have it and you can manifest it and it will be there. You just need to imagine yourself being joyful and you will be. Imagine yourself with kindness and you will be. And what it's done is it's left a world that's filled with either self-doubt or self-loathing of going, it hasn't worked for me. I don't know why these things are not part of my life. One of the other problems with this sort of self-help identity, this, this I'll be able to do this if I just kind of work on myself and discipline myself, is that what we do is we take the fruit of the Spirit and we treat it as these nine separate traits that we'll go after. And I'll work on one at a time. And what happens then is really what you do is you kind of separate them out to go, these are personality traits. Or these are about temperament. And I don't have the right temperament for that, so I need to work on them. So what I do is I separate these all out into nine different things, and I go, what I'll do is I'll pick one and I'll work on it, and as I get through with them and master them, then I'll, I'll have a life that's filled with them. It's like we treat it like a buffet, right, of these things that we want to grab and we want to have in our life, and we even focus on some over others, and we ignore some of the things. We want to pick and choose them. As a matter of fact, when we look at ourselves, we oftentimes look at ourselves like they're a gift, a gifting that we have, like whether or not you can run fast or whether or not you're good at art. And we go, well, I'm good at this one, but I'm not good at that one. These are not personality traits. You need to understand this. This is not a Briggs-Meyer thing like you go, hey, listen, some of these I can do and some of them I can't because I'm an ISFJ, whatever those things are, and a Myers-Briggs thing. And so I don't have these, but I do have these, and that's okay because I've separated those things out. What it allows us to do is we turn loose of some of them. We just get rid of them. We go, well, that's not really me, so I'm not going to do that. That's not my gift. But what we're talking about here are things that are more than your temperament. These are more than whether or not you were just born naturally being able to do these things. And when we look at them that way, we're also able to kind of make them conditional, right? There's some of these that we look at. And we're like, well, I'm good at some of these and I'm not good at some of these. I, I tend to be a pretty kind person unless I'm in the same room with Brother X and then he drives me nuts. 
right? I tend to be patient unless I'm driving on 35 and people are in the slow lane, you know, on the left lane and they're driving slow, which, by the way, is against all kinds of biblical law. You should not ever do that, Amen. right? I tend to be gentle unless it comes to sports, right? There's all of these different things. I, I tend to have goodness unless it comes to being wronged when I've been wronged. And so we have these things that we go, I can do this unless X happens. And then when X happens, I turn loose of the fruit of the Spirit. What I do is I go with my personality trait because that's just who I am. You know how many times I've heard people talk like that and they go, well, you just need to know. Once you cross me, that's it. I'm done with you forever. That's just the way I am. I go, I need to tell you, brother. That is not letting the fruit of the Spirit rule your life. That's a problem with the flesh. And so what happens when we separate these out as different personality traits, we start jettisoning some of them. We'll just jettison it. I'll get rid of that one, right? And I'll pick up on something else. We'll look at this list and we'll go, well, listen, I'm not really a gentle person, but I've got a lot of self-control. So I'll just focus over there. I don't need the gentleness. The self-control is really a strong thing for me, so I'll do that. I'll embrace that. Or we turn it the other way. We go, the love thing comes easy to me. I can do that. But gentleness is really not my thing, or self-control is not my thing, or faithfulness is not my thing. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll focus on that. So we throw some out, and we hang on to some others. Or I've even seen some people replace them, where you go, yeah, kindness is not my thing. I actually heard a guy in a church say this one time. He goes, you know what my real gift is? Is I'm able to see what's wrong with stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you, he, he had a gift <laughs> for complaining, for telling you what's wrong. He did that regularly, and when we finally approached him, we go, man, all you do is seem to complain and point out where everybody's falling short. And he goes, yeah, that's really my gift that God's given me, is I can see when things are wrong. I go, well, it's a gift, because you're good at it, but I got to tell you, that ain't from the Holy Spirit. That is not a gift from the Holy Spirit. Neither is criticism or complaining or even being right. One of the things I'm good at is I'm being right. I can do that. Not a gift of the Spirit. Really, a lot of times what comes from that is people going, really, these are my gifts, and it's not these things over here. To go, yeah, you just kind of sound like a miserable person sometimes. And you're a groucher and a complainer. And you need to know, you can tell that when you're around somebody who goes, I've jettisoned the fruit of the Spirit, and what I've done is locked into the things that I'm really good at. Those are not the things necessarily that are the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we do is we grab some of these and we turn loose the other ones and we like to pick and choose and we go, these are the ones that make me up. And you need to understand something. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's not plural. It's one thing. If the Spirit is living in you and you have the evidence, you have one thing made up of all of these. You don't get to pick and choose. There is one evidence of the Spirit being in your life. And it is all of these things with the Spirit. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to throw some out because that's not my personality type. It's the Spirit of God is these things. And this is the evidence of the Spirit of God living in you. And we don't get to take one and go, yeah, I'm not doing that one. Then what happens oftentimes is after we try the, the self-help thing and we go, I've read all the books and it doesn't seem to be working and I'm having a hard time with that, is a lot of times what happens is people turn to religion. 
and, and I'm not telling you, I'm talking about religion. I'm not talking about following God. This idea that goes, what I can do to fix me so that this fruit of the Spirit will uh, be the identifier in my life is I'll do all the right things. I'll go to church and I'll follow the rules and I'll try hard enough. And if I do all of that, then I'll have the fruit of the Spirit. And that's not what the Scripture says. Instead, what happens is that leads to a legalism that eventually leads to despair, self-righteousness or self-loathing. You need to remember, these are not commands that have been given to us. Go out and do love, joy, peace, peace. It's not commands. We like commands. That's our nature. And especially those of us who sometimes grew up in a religious background, no matter what it is, we like commands because it's easy to know where I stand if I've got commands. And it's easy for me to compare with you. I know whether or not I'm better than you or worse than you at these things. And I know whether or not I've done better at this or worse than I did before. But the problem is you can't look at this as go, these are things that I need to obey. You know, I've thought about this and go, if you were to take the life of David, King David, for those of y'all that know this, was a king in Israel that had all kinds, would you say he had the fruit of the Spirit in his life? Man, you start thinking about some of the things that he did. And if you want to look at that and go, did he obey his way? Was he, was he faithful in that way? Did he obey his way into the fruit of the Spirit? You'd have to go, oh man, the man was a mess. But we like that sort of black and white line being able to say, I know I've got this because I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do. I go to church every week and I quote the scripture and I've learned all of these things. And go, that does not guarantee you the fruit of the Spirit. That's not what he's talking about. That's what the Pharisees struggled with, right? When you hear Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, you need to understand that that was one of their issues as they go, obedience and knowledge of the word will provide me with the fruit of the Spirit. I'll have this. I'll learn to obey my way into it. And if I obey my way into it, then it will all be there. But the big issue with that is when you see the way that Jesus talked to the Pharisees, it goes completely against that. Matthew 23 is one. If you haven't read that, I'll recommend that to you. Go read Matthew 23 because he really takes religious people, and you need to know we like to go those Pharisees, but he takes religious people and he really takes them to task. I mean, you want to talk about a guy really giving a verbal beatdown to a group? That's Jesus with the religious Pharisees. And one of the things that he says at the beginning in verses 1 through 3 is he said, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. So you got Jesus even going, look, here's the deal. You need to obey them, but don't be like them. Do what they say, but don't become like them. And we look at that and we go, well, how can those things be different? How can Jesus on one hand say obey them and on the other hand say don't be with them? And the thing is he's making a distinction between obedience and the visible presence of the Spirit of God. He was able to point and go, look, here's the deal. They're doing everything right and they don't have in any way the Spirit of God in them. It's just not showing up, even through their obedience. And you need to know, he's not saying the Pharisees say one thing and then don't obey it. He's going, they do obey. The problem is what they'll do is they'll go, love the Lord with all your, God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, but they're not doing it. They're not really loving them the way that they should. They're not becoming what they're supposed to become. The Spirit 
The evidence of the Spirit in your life is not just based on your beliefs and your actions. Some of you have seen that. It's really based on the idea of the overflow of your heart, a changed heart that God has made. We know that we can have actions that contradict our belief and actions that even contradict our other actions. Some of us have been victims of this, and some of us have actually been perpetrators of this, and we're guilty of this. The idea that our actions don't always match what we say we believe. Right? If you've had a mom or a dad or a spouse that tells you, I love you, but then are the sort of people that will still berate and abuse you physically and emotionally and have crushed your spirit in every way. And then maybe promise, I'll never do that again because I love you, just to know they're going to do it again. Then you know that they may still believe that they love you, but their actions don't follow that. Maybe a spouse who tells you that they love you, but then takes another to romantic dinners betraying you with another person while at the same time bringing you flowers. So on one hand, what we have is people that will come in and go, see, here's how I love you, and at the same time hurt you deeper than anyone else can. It happens all the time. Our actions don't always follow what we say we believe. Right? You got Christian people. They say, look, I go to church, and I'm a Christian who loves God, and I give some money to help with charities, and I help and volunteer in a ministry, and you can still find that person and go, they seem to lack every bit. There seems to be no joy. There seems to be no love. There's no gentleness. There's no kindness in any way. That can happen to us because our actions don't always follow exactly what we believe. It takes more than that. You cannot obey your way into this, and you can't just mentally believe something and have it change you. You can't be good enough to have this fruit and you can't obey your way into it. And so what happens is when I try to do self-help and that doesn't work and then I lean on religion and try to be good enough that I can have this and then when that legalism or that religion fails, we fall into despair. And then we get this idea that I can't have a life filled with these things because I'm not good enough. That's why I don't have love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's because I haven't been good enough. If I can be better, I've failed in this. I need to be better, and I keep trying, and it doesn't seem to work, and I don't get it. I'm trying to be good. What's wrong with me? And that falls right back into that conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago about Paul. Who could claim and go, look, I'm doing things right. In comparison to you, I've done all these things right. But still, I try to do what's right, and I don't do it. And I try not to do what's wrong, and I keep doing it. And I'm falling into despair when I look at this. Who's going to save me, the wretch that I am? I haven't been able to make this manifest itself in my life through my own obedience, even through religion. I need to be saved from this. Who's going to save me? You got religious merit badges? He would have had all of them, right? I accomplished all of these things, and I get to keep putting them on there. But the fact is, the fruit of the Spirit is not something that you can just acquire and win, like a merit badge. I think I've told you this before. I had a good friend who became a new Christian, and she, she uh, was baptized in the Christ, and she said, then I read about the fruit of the Spirit and all of these things that I'm supposed to have in my life. And so I put the, the list up on the refrigerator, and I thought, as I master each one, I'll check them off. And she goes, I never got past the first one, love. 
I discovered I don't love all the time, and I don't love sacrificially, and I don't love like Jesus did, and I certainly don't love the way that Jesus has loved me. I don't have that. And then she fell into this despair because I'm not able to do that. And that's just it. The fruit of the Spirit is not evidence of anything that you've done. It's evidence of what God has done in you. That's the difference. It's really not even supposed to be your characteristics. We look at the fruit of the Spirit and go, I have to go attain this to where these are my characteristics. They're not supposed to be your characteristics. They're the characteristics of God. And He lives in you. So what people should be seeing is His characteristics in your life. It's His. That is one of the most freeing things when you think about that. Paul is not saying the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Go make sure they're your characteristics. He doesn't do that. What a burden that would be to us. Instead, what he does is say these are already God's characteristics, and he lives in you. Let people see God living in you. That's the difference. We all want these results, and we all want these in our life, but the problem is we don't really understand how to get them. It's the evidence of the presence of the Spirit of God in our life, not the evidence of what we've done. It's the evidence of your closeness to Christ. It will come through the closer you are to Christ. They will be there. And the interesting thing is, is it's a supernatural gift. See, what this is, is not something that you go acquire and attain through your talent, through your hard work. This is God going, I have given this to you, and I've placed it inside of you. If you will let this show with what I've done in you, being closer to Christ, relying on him and trusting in him, that's how this grows. And you need to know the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, if you look at this and you go, man, I don't think any of this is showing up. You need to know it doesn't automatically show up as mastery as soon as you become a follower. The Lord's going to make this grow in you. What you have to do is get closer and closer and relying more and more on Him, and then it will show up more and more. This part, having a life that is filled with this thing that is the fruit of the Spirit, it's not your work to do. It's a display of the work that's already been done in you. It is the evidence that something has happened in you that you did not do. Isn't that great? Man, that's the good news. I can't go and make this happen. You don't have to. This is what will show when you grasp what has been done through you, through Christ. That's one of the reasons that John 15, 5, you know, I started with this when I started here with you guys. The idea of the vine and the branches... And this is what Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This is him taking that burden off of you. You can't go make this fruit. I make this. And it will be revealed in your life. The answer or the secret to having this is not a clear examination of what you can do, but it's a closer examination of what Jesus has already done in you we got to take this focus off ourselves. I haven't been able to get this. I haven't been able to earn this. I haven't been able to fix myself and go, no, 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 no. Let's start looking closer at who did. This is what Christ has done in you. We display the fruit of another's accomplished work. This is the work someone else did, and it will be visible. Let me give you a weird example. I'm going to give you a weird example. So this is about 15 years ago. I'm sitting in my living room, 
And my wife's in the kitchen, and she's making something for school, like they had a, everybody's bringing potluck or something. And I'm watching a ball game. The kids are going to bed. It's like 9 o'clock at night. And I hear her in there, and she's moving around, and she's opening and closing the cabinet doors. And she goes, can you do me a favor? I mean, she's in the pantry, I can hear. Can you do me a favor? I need some apple cider vinegar, and I don't have any. I can't make this without it. So it's like, yeah, I can do that. So I get up, and I grab my keys, and I go jump in the car, and I head over to H-E-B. So I get out of the car to H-E-B, and I start walking across the parking lot into the front. And as I start walking in, there's a guy that work, is working outside there at the H-E-B, and he looks at me, and he goes, well, hey. Big grin. And I was like, hey. That's very friendly. And then I start walking in, and then there's a lady in coming out that's a customer. And as she walks out, she looks at me and smiles and goes, hey. And I went, hi. <laughs> and then I walk a little further, and there's a, a young lady doing the produce in there. And she looks at me and smiles real big and goes, how you doing? And I remember kind of going, look, I'm married, okay? <laughs> I don't know why everybody's hitting on me. But I'm married. And, but as I'm walking through, everybody's smiling real big and being real friendly. And I'm like, well, that's nice. But, you know, I still got it. But um, So I end up on the aisle where the vinegar is. And I'm looking for apple cider vinegar. And there's something about mother that I don't understand at all. So I'm in there. And about that time, a lady from the church that I attended comes around the corner. And she goes, hey, Scott. And I went, hey, Dawn. And she goes, what's going on? And I went, well, I'm looking for apple cider vinegar. And she goes, no, no, no. What's going on? And at that moment, I want you to know, I came to this huge realization. Now, let me back you up about five hours. <laughs> about five hours earlier, my third grade daughter had an assignment from school where she had to make a business. And they were going to teach them how to do money and charge things. And so she came up with the business. Her business was going to be face painting. And she wanted to practice on me. So I sat down, and I let her draw a big dolphin up across here with glittery paint. She had a unicorn right over here, and there was a big rainbow right over here. These are bright, glittery paintings on my face while I'm in H-E-B walking around, wondering why everybody's looking at me and going, hey. Now listen, Austin's weird, but even that was for most people going, what's wrong with you, man? And more than anything, what I came to find out is that through this, people were seeing another's work in me. This was not my work. I did not do this, right? I don't take any credit for it. I didn't in any way make this happen. But people noticed it. They could see it in me. They were seeing the fruit of my daughter's work in me as I walked around, right? Let me give you another example that's a little more on the nose for what we're talking about. I have a, a, a dear friend. Uh, his name's Rob. Rob was a great big huge guy, probably 6'6", six, six, weighed about 280 at some point. Big fella. Grew up in a, a family that was really, really rough. His father was abusive uh, physically, emotionally, not just abusive to him, but also abusive to uh, Rob's mother. And so Rob became a young man who grew up that was really good in sports uh, because he was angry all the time. And one of the things he did was he played through his anger. But then it went outside of sports. And he became one that fought all the time. And he was very good at it. He was a big, huge, strong guy. And if you crossed him, Rob would take you down pretty quick. 
And this became a large part of his life, is his anger and the way that it led him and things. Now, you need to know, Rob also claimed to be a Christian and said, I believe in God. And that's who I am. I believe in Jesus. But his life was filled with the fruit of another father, the work that had been done in him through his own physical father who had placed in him this abandonment and this hurt and this violence. And so Rob's life revealed the fruit of the work of another person. And about the time that he really uh, began to struggle, he had this epiphany and he had this new life in Christ. More than anything, what he came to understand is his own brokenness in every way, his own need for his heavenly father. He needed to be redeemed and he needed to be healed in every way. And so it wasn't just something to go, well, I believe in Jesus. It was actually where he got to examine what happened with his heavenly father and the work that he had done in him to heal him. And he goes, yeah, I have all this anger and I have this frustration and I want to fight and I want to do this because of what's happened to me in the flesh. But here's what God did. He never abandoned me. And he never hurt me and abused me. Instead, he loved me in a way that I never knew that I could be loved. And what happened through that is there was a new fruit that you could see in Rob's life because of the work that had been done by a loving father. See, he's still displaying the work of another, but instead of displaying the work of his abusive physical father, he's displaying the work of his heavenly father and what he's done in him and to him. I got to tell you, man, when it comes to this fruit of the Spirit thing, one of the things that I found out that I have witnessed is those who best display the fruit of the Spirit are those who best understand their own brokenness and the deep love and grace of Christ. Those are the folks that have it just flowing out of them. You can be filled with these things, but you can't do it by trying to get those things. Right? It, you can't be filled with love and joy and peace by trying to find love and joy and peace. You get filled with those things by finding Christ and letting him do his work in you, letting him remake you, becoming a new creation and becoming somebody brand new. That's how you're filled with these things. Again, these are not ultimately supposed to be the characteristics of you. They are the characteristics of Christ, and he's in you. So what happens with this, if you want this, you spend more time examining Christ and our Father and the way that he loves us. You want love in your life, then you examine the love of Christ, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Amen. That's how much love. You want joy? Then you look at the joy of Christ. Because it says, for the joy set before him, which was you, he endured the cross. Dive into that, and you'll be able to get joy. You want peace in your life? Then you need to look at Christ. His peace passes all understanding. And the way that he's passed his peace onto you. You want patience? Then you need to make sure you examine closely the Lord. And the patience that he's had while he's waited for us to come near him, while he's waited for us to choose him, while he's waited for us to come back home. You want kindness? Then you need to look at the kindness of God who sent his own son to make sure that we would be redeemed. You want goodness? Then you need to look at the goodness of God. Not just goodness, but holiness without sin in every way. And not only that, but he gives you his holiness. He goes, here's my holiness, and I'll trade you for your brokenness. You can have my holiness. It's all over you. You want faithfulness? Then you need to look at the faithfulness of God. 
And how he says, nothing can separate you from my love. And there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You want gentleness? Then you need to look at the way that he's binding up our brokenness. And he's healing us like the prodigal father who welcomed back his son who made a huge mess. And he goes, here's robe, here's ring, here's sandals. You want self-control? You need to look at the self-control of God who did not give us what we deserve. But instead controlled his wrath and gave us love and grace and mercy. That's how you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You look at his and you let that shine through you. That should change us. The way we do that, we do that through our spiritual practices. We do that through prayer. We do that through all of our work where we look and examine closer what Christ is like. And then those things will grow in us. When you truly grasp the joy that Christ has for you, when you are able to dive down into that, you will start realizing that starts coming out of you in every way. It doesn't mean that you're always happy and in a good mood. It means you have a joy that can't be touched by this world. These are not conditional things. You have these that go beyond what's happening to you. You know that, right? You've seen those people that are on their deathbed that have been suffering maybe in some way with cancer and still have joy, and you go, how is that possible? Because they understand the joy of God. And that's shining through them. It's not their own achievement. It's the achievement of God. You know, people who got turmoil going on around them and they seem to still have some sort of inner peace. How's that possible? It's not their peace. That's the peace of God that he's planted in them and it's coming out of them. That's how we get this. We examine closer. We dive deeper into what Jesus has done for us. This is one of the reasons in this battle between the flesh and the spirit that we're doing 40 days of prayer and we're listening and we're trying to understand. We want to be a people that have this as who we are. That's one of the reasons we're talking about fasting coming up, right? We're going to have this time of fasting next Saturday. And I, I want to tell you, this may be new to you and you're going, listen, this whole idea of not eating, this is for the birds, man. You need to understand this idea of fasting and praying to God, in particular for his help and his guidance, is part of the rich, deep fabric of our faith. It's been there for thousands of years. By the time Jesus came along, it was assumed he'd go, when you fast, this is what you do. He didn't go, if, because everybody did. And from that time until just recently, most Christians fasted two days a week. And the reason that it kind of got dropped, in particular, is it got dropped by Western Christians in our area because we went, ah, we're not doing that one. It's amazing the way that we hold on to these examples and these disciplines from Scripture and you go, uh, Jesus prayed, so we're going to pray. And Jesus worshiped, so we're going to worship. And you go, Jesus fasted. And we go, no, oh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> right? And, and, and I want you to know that with this, it, it, we look at this and we go, this is how we're going to battle between the flesh and the spirit. And you go, well, it sounds like a physical battle. That what we're going to do is we're going to fast from physical food and some way that's going to help us spiritually. And you need to know that it's not. It's a way to battle the flesh and silence it so that we can hear better from the Spirit. There's this quote from Andrew Murray, and he says, Prayer is the one hand with which we grab the invisible. Those are things of the Spirit. Fasting is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. It's how you turn loose of things of the flesh. This is a practice for us to go. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on the spiritual things by turning loose and starving the physical things that scream for our attention constantly, that say you have to have, you have to have. 
There's more to it than that. Our flesh tells us that some things are impossible. Fasting is denying that flesh and starving it so that it understands the spiritual strength of what God does in our life. It's about us seeing him more clearly. It's about us sanctifying ourselves, which is the idea of we're going to set ourselves apart for this day. Made holy, that's the idea of holy, and sanctification is to go, we take ourselves and we set ourselves apart for this different purpose. And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to fast and pray with us. And you need to know fasting in the Scripture is always about food. That's what it's always about. I know that sometimes we talk about doing other things. That's abstaining from something like for Lent or something, and that's good too. But what we're talking about here in the biblical fast is the idea of going, we, we have in our mind and in our flesh the idea that we, go, we have to have food to live. And this is us going, I'm going to set that aside realizing that I have to have something even more to live. I have to have God. I have to be filled with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And so what I'll do is I'll quiet this voice so that I can come closer and hear this voice. It's not about dieting when it's about food. I want you to understand, too, there's another one that I found. is I heard somebody say, dieting changes the way you look. Fasting changes the way you see. Right? See the difference? We're not doing this for a physical reason. We're doing this for a spiritual reason. We're doing this so that God will change us. And I, I want you to know, so I've put some instructions, a bunch of resources and things about fasting at the back. You can grab those on the way out. We talked about them in some classes Wednesday night, Sunday morning. But if you'd like to hear more about the way that this is a deep part of our religion, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, uh, grab some of those at the back. And there's different ways to do this. So you, you could I put on there, you, could, you can go all day Saturday through Sunday and we break the fast at the Lord's Supper. You can go half the day Saturday and then uh, join us with the Lord's Supper. You can uh, just go Sunday morning if you need to. And listen, I want to tell you something that, that needs to be very clear. If you're in a medical spot where you can't do this and you have to have food to take your medicine or you're diabetic or you're a nursing mom or something like that and that gets you into a place where you shouldn't do don't. Okay? This is a means. It's not the end. That was the big issue with the Pharisee in the temple, with his Pharisee and the tax collectors. He's holding it up as the end. I'm not like him because I fast twice a week. No, no, no. We're not those people. We are different because of what Christ has done in us. This is just a way for us to see it more clearly and examine ourselves. So we'll ask you to do that. This is a way for us to draw deeper, closer to Christ. That's the purpose for all of this. Everything that we're doing here in seeking his way, everything that we're doing in trying to ask God to guide us, it's all about us being drawn closer and closer to Jesus. Amen. And then these things will be seen. This evidence will be there, and you'll see it. We're going to close up. If I can, I'd like to ask you to stand, and I'm going to close with a prayer, and then we're going to have a few songs. In particular, what I'd like to ask you to do during this time is, if you would, be in prayer right now for what you're asking the Lord to grow in you. This fruit of the Spirit's one thing, but there are different aspects of it. And so there's this opportunity for us to spend some time, if you'd like to, in prayer to say, Lord, grow this in me. Grow all of these in me. We're going to have some people around to pray. If you'd like to pray with somebody, we would love for you to be able to do that. And you need to know, when we do prayer time, it's for anything. You can pray about things you're happy about. It can be praying about things that uh, you're uh, worried about. It can be about anything that's happening in your life. We'd love for you to come and pray with us. And then let me mention one other thing. If you don't yet belong to Christ, if you haven't made that decision to go, man, I'm putting all my chips in on Jesus then we want to tell you this idea of having a life that is filled with love and joy and peace, it's impossible. It's impossible without Christ. 
We want you to know that's who we are as we're followers of Jesus that go, the only way that this is coming out of me is because I've been made a new creation. See, I'm new. I'm not what I used to be. God's doing this work in me now. And as he does, these things continue to grow in me. We would love to tell you about that. We love nothing more than to show people how to make this step into following Christ. So we'll be around back here during this couple of songs. We'd love to have you come pray with us, come ask us. Whatever we can do, we'd be happy to do that with you. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you so much again for your love. Lord, we thank you for the work you've already done in us. And Lord, we are thankful we don't have the burden of trying to be people who have acquired all of these things that are listed in the fruit of the Spirit. And not only that, we can't work for them, and we can't achieve them, and we can't be good enough, and we can't obey our way into them. Uh, we can't believe our way into them. We have to follow and listen and let you do that work. And so, Lord, remind us of how you have put to death the flesh in us when we were baptized into Christ and the old us went away and the new one now that lives in you. Change us. Make us more like your son in everything that we do. Lord, we ask that you hear our prayer. And it's in the name of Jesus. Amen.